In this episode of the Fit for Golf podcast, I am joined by Brandon Marcello. Brandon is an expert in the world of fitness wearables. In this conversation, we talk a lot about Whoop and also touch on some other popular options like Apple Watch, Aura Ring and Fitbit. Brandon has a very deep understanding of the science and peer-reviewed independent research in this field, and I would like to thank him again for giving his time and sharing his knowledge to help us gain better insight. Just before we get started, a quick reminder that Fit for Golf has its own app. It is currently being used by 3,000 golfers around the world, ranging all the way from PGA Tour winners to complete beginners, juniors to seniors. There are programs for everyone, and you can get a one-month trial for just $6 by going to www.fitforgolf.blog forward slash app, selecting monthly, and entering the code FFGTRIAL. You will not find it in the App Store. You must go to the website. Now to Brandon Marcello. Brandon Marcello, thank you very much for joining me on the Fit for Golf podcast. Would you mind giving us some info on your background and then maybe your experience with fitness wearables? Sure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, this, will be, this should be a lot of fun today. Um, yeah, so, so a little bit about me. I've been in the high-performance space for... 25 years now, um, started as a strength conditioning coach, um, worked for IMG Academies, uh, helped stand up uh, Athletes Performance, which is now Exos. Um, went back to school, got a PhD in sports nutrition, and keep realizing that I have a lot of areas in which I need to learn. Um, so, uh, you know, spent some years as director of performance for one of our Olympic teams here in the United States. Spent seven years as director of performance at Stanford University. And in 2014, I started my own company, um, which kind of s- the purpose of it was to kind of solve human performance problems. Um, and at that point, in about 2015, I was contacted by the United States military, uh, who was looking to determine um, what wearable technology uh, might be applicable to the military world? So what from the sports world could they maybe pull, potentially pull over? Because, you know, human performance is human performance. So um, I took a deep dive, looked at a number of different wearable devices at that time. Um, I had already been looking at wearable devices because obviously we're using them in the training situations and different scenarios, whether it's heart rate or recovery devices, uh, um, and whatnot. So I had already been down that road of starting to vet wearable technology or other types of devices to quantify self, right? Um, and then uh, when I got this project with the with the United States military, um, I had to go even deeper, right? So this, I was going and visiting these people's headquarters and visiting with data scientists and looking at the accuracy and, and, and validity reports and, um, you know, really taking a deeper dive under the hood to get a better understanding of really how good are these where these pieces of wearable technology uh, and then depending on how good or not good, where can you use them? Good or not good, right? Uh, because there's certainly an applicability for, for any type of wearable device because at the end of the day, um, the purpose of a wearable device is to just change or modify your behavior. That's excellent. Really interesting. I actually wasn't aware you'd done such in-depth research on them. I knew from just kind of chatting briefly online that you had done some research, but I didn't know it was that big a project. So can you maybe dig a little bit deeper into that and tell us, 
I suppose, what were some of the main takeaways you found from that big research project? Well, I, I, I don't know if I had any main takeaways, but, you know, because the purpose of it was to say, here's what sport uses uh, or what they should use. And then, you know, it wasn't my call to determine if it was applicable to the military because that's just not my world. Right. Um, but now you fast forward to today and actually, uh, I just presented on this last week in Colorado. Um, I developed the the um, the wearables process um, or the process for vetting wearable technology for the uh, tri services. So you know the Army and the Navy and uh, and the Air Force. So uh, I'm, I'm working on continuing to iterate that and working on the third iteration of de- developing you know uh, the vetting process for the DoD. Wow. Um, so. so- a very in-depth understanding then of what's out there and how they work yes. essentially. And, and how the, the process in which these devices should be screened. Um, so to get a better understanding of like, like, what is the use case in which you want to, you know, deploy this? So I guess what I'm saying is that we've become very wearable centric um, w- without even asking a question. We haven't asked the question of, you know, why do I need this? What types of insights or further insights am I trying to gain as a human or for my human or for, for optimizing or enhancing human performance? Uh, we start with the wearable and saying, wow, this, I'm going to measure my sleep. Okay. Why? Right. So I, I think we're going about it backwards. Um, and, and I think that's, that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. We might shift a little bit, Brandon, into kind of some more golf-specific things. And I suppose one of the reasons why I asked you to come on is, as I suppose technology has been getting uh, definitely cheaper and easier for the general public to access, a question that I've been asked an awful lot about is, Mike, tell me about Whoop. Like, I see them all the time. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, Whoop has become extremely popular in the golf world because they're now the fit official fitness wearable for the PGA tour. So we see um, some of the tours star players wearing them basically when they're on TV playing golf, we see them, you know, posting snippets from their workouts of some data and because they travel so much and their sleep schedules are all over the place. They're, they're posting all these different metrics and, you know, people get interested and wonder how they can use them themselves. So whoop has metrics labeled strain recovery, HRV, sleep. Can you elaborate on how these metrics are calculated and maybe just as importantly, how accurate they are? Yeah. So um, one of the things that we, I can tell you about Whoop is that they, they are a little bit of a black box. Um, they have not released their secret sauce of how they actually calculate strain. Um, so we know it's calculated through what, what it can measure, the device measures. So they say it measures sleep, uh, the heart rate, uh, HRV, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so those are the numbers in which it's used to develop the strain score and provide you with, you know, uh, how much time you should spend sleeping and recovering and those types of things. Um, going back to my earlier comment, wearable devices are, are used to help modify or change behavior. Okay. Um, and the fact that people are wearing whoop or whatever, right. Means that they care about sleep and recovery 
and you know how travel and different schedules can affect them, right? Um, so then hopefully they can deploy a different a countermeasure to offset those undesirable effects of travel, uh, poor sleeping, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's the hope. Um, now, Whoop does a great job of providing beautiful user interface. Like the visualizations are great. Um, it's very elegant. Uh, it's easy on the eyes to look at. Um, and, and, and they, they, um, they, they bring awareness to these things. Right. Um, but that's kind of where it stops. Right. Um, yes, they are the, you know, I think people sometimes forget about business decisions versus performance decisions. Right. Um, just because something is the official wearable of PGA or whatever, doesn't mean it's necessarily good. doesn't mean it's bad either. Right. Um, you know, people would say, well, certainly if the PGA is wearing it, 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 it must be good, right? That's what marketing wants you to believe, right? Um, I mean, it wasn't, you know, you, you look at like Bud Light is the official sponsor of like NFL football, right? It's like, well, if the players drink Bud Light, then it must be good, right? That's not quite how it works, right? Um, I think we get kind of caught up in those things that um, many times they're paid for. I don't know the, 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 the legal print behind the whoop and PGA deal. So I can't speak to that, but I can speak certainly to other deals. And, and usually it's persons with, with the amount of money come to the table and say, Hey, would you like to partner? We'll give you money or whatever. Right. Of course. Um, again, I can't speak to whoops deal with the PGA, but um, I can tell you one thing. Whoop is an amazing marketing company. Amazing. Right. Like uh, they're paying influencers $3,000 a month in some instances to wear their whoop band on Instagram right? Um, they are giving their product away to these, these, these high-level athletes, right? Um, and because of that, hey, right, it gets notoriety, gets sight, and people are like, well, wow, if, if Michael Phelps wears it on, on NBC during the Olympic trials, well, he, I must wear that because that's how I'm going to get better, right? Um, so, we need to be careful and separate the marketing side and the business side of house from the, the accuracy and the technology and the performance side of the house, because there can be a great disparity between the two. That's perfect. Thank you. So while we don't have the exact, say, secret sauce, as you put it, for how we, Whoop works, obviously there must be um, you know, some good idea of what it's trying to do, because the only thing that it's actually measuring is your heart rate, correct? That's, that's the only data that it's really taking in. Yeah, it's measuring heart rate and it's also measuring movement, right? Okay. At, at the wrist. So, actigraphy, right? So, that's where it gets the sleep number. So, what we can do while we can't dive into really their strain algorithm, we can say, well, if they use sleep, I can measure and we can test whoop against the gold standard for sleep. Uh, if it measures heart rate, we can test whoop against the gold standard for heart rate. And then, if we can say, okay, if these things aren't very accurate, then therefore we know that the algorithm is not going to be accurate as well, right? And, I, and that's what uh, a lot of independent labs have already done. That's what some um, governing bodies for sport have already done. Um, and, you know, what we do know is that their heart rate number is average. It's good. It's okay, right? Um, good for a consumer product. Um, you know, they're not going to use it in a medical facility anytime to diagnose heart rate, which is fine. You don't need that. It's yeah. consumer grade. Um, the HRV number, not so great. The sleep, um, not so great. 
Um, and then the, you know, staging of sleep, obviously, you know, anytime people say they can get stages of sleep from the wrist, it's a big leap, right? They could print them out there and they put them out there, but it's, they're really not that accurate. It's a pretty big leap. Um, so, um, all in all, um, yeah, it's just not, not really from a, from a technology standpoint, from an accuracy standpoint, it, it doesn't pass muster from my standpoint. Now, if you want to put it on somebody and on a golfer and say, Hey, look, when you go drink at night and have four drinks, your HRV plummets, it'll tell you that yeah. it's not going to be accurate, but I'd rather have just a down arrow and up arrow because otherwise just it's giving you a number. That's just, that's, it's just kind of a random number generator just kind of throws out, Hey, it's 49 tonight in the morning. Right. Okay. It went down. That's all you can really determine by that is it went down. So. Okay. That's great. In, re yeah. in regards to the, I might dig into those data points mm -hmm. or those data mm -hmm. metrics a little bit more, if that's okay. Sure. So when we're, when we're talking about heart rate measurement, obviously that's going to be used for the calories burned in the day too. Correct. Which is what yeah. a lot of people are interested heart, heart in. Heart rate and, act and activity. Yes. Okay. Um, does its um, heart rate accuracy depend on the type of activity you're doing? For example, if somebody has had a day where they've primarily just been, say, walking around and their heart rate has been relatively stable, as opposed to if somebody is doing, you know, let's say some sort of interval session where their heart rate is spiking up and down, you know, has large fluctuate, fluctuations and, and things like this, do... Um, do different heart rate monitors struggle with those types of differences? Um, yeah, they do actually. So that's the thing, kind of like at rest, a lot of these heart rate monitors are probably really good. Um, they're pretty accurate across the board, but the second you start getting into movement and the second you start getting into, you know, running movements versus on a cycle, right? If I'm on a, if I'm on a bicycle and my hands are fixed, you know, that device is pretty well fixed. Versus am I running and it's jostling around my arm, you know, and we're making a lot of um, uh, assumptions too, that we're wearing it correctly. Right. Yeah. And then you're not always, you know, wearing it correctly as well. So uh, that, that can be part of it too. So there can be some user error too, which can, can create some of this, this error. Something that I, I need to touch on then. So is um, if it's also looking at movement and people are wearing it on their wrist, when we swing a golf club, our wrists are going through an enormous range of motion multiple times in a practice session or in a round of golf. Now, Whoop have brought out um, an option to put it on your bicep yes. instead of putting it on your wrist. They said that, that provides more accurate data than wearing it on the wrist. So that's obviously going to be something that's hugely important for people who are trying to get data from playing rounds of golf and if they're wearing it when they're doing golf practice sessions. That could have a huge bearing at the end of the day, depending on where you were wearing that monitor and the fact that it's measuring movement and you're wearing it on your wrist and it's moving so much. That's something that must be accounted for surely. Yes. And, you know, they've already, they've said that their device is really accurate. So why do you need something that's more accurate to put on your body? So that's just a question from, that's from like a marketing standpoint that I look at. It's like, They've, they've gone, I've read whoop stuff where it's like, you know, yeah, if you swing kettlebells or if you do this and, you know, you, you know your watch is getting in the way, right, because of it, you may want to go to X. 
Or is it really that it's just not that accurate to begin with and they found a better way of measuring things? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I have not vetted the strap. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's I, I I think that's something that's important for golfers. I, I know that I've just heard reports anecdotally from people really who have said that when playing golf, the wrist strap can be problematic because the wrist is moving so much and that the bicep one might be something that's a little bit more stable. Uh but then again, it's it's hard to know if if we don't have, I guess, you know, independent research on on the wrist plus versus right. the bicep. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, can you go a little bit into what exactly HRV is? Because yeah, yeah. I, I, I have people like I, I have an exercise science degree um, and I, I, I work in, say, sports performance. I definitely am not an expert in HRV. No little about it um but i have people with with very with with no basically education in it but they do have a whoop and they come to me asking questions about their hrv and things like that and i suppose i'm just kind of concerned about people you know really majoring in the minors or putting the cart before the horse where they're asking about hrv numbers but there's way way more other things that probably are worth their time and and effort you know well, I think HRV can be a valuable tool, um, but you have to kind of understand its limitations and what it's good at doing. Um, so, for instance, you know, what heart rate variability or HRV is, is that I guess this is the easiest way to put it. Um, you have a specific heart rate, like a resting heart rate, and we'll just say it's 60 just for easy math, right? Um, when you inhale, your heart rate speeds up a little bit right? When you exhale, your heart rate slows down a little bit. Okay. So that there, that difference between that, there's some variability within your heart rate. Okay. So yep. that way you, you know, your heart rate goes up and goes down a little bit. Now, people who are in really good shape uh, are have uh, exhibiting very little stress, um, et cetera, et cetera. They have greater amounts of variability. So when they're at rest and they're sort of sleeping and they're breathing in and breathing out, they have a large amount of variability. If you have a lot of stress um, uh, on the body, if you are um, training too much, if you are not sleeping well, potentially if you're traveling multiple time zones, um, whatever it might be, you're going to now or and not in shape you're going to have less variability. So when you inhale and exhale, your, your heart is not speeding up and slowing down as much as it should because of this extra stress, right? Um, so that's really what HRV is. People look at it and will sometimes say, well, it's really how you're, the, the balance between your autonomic nervous system, which is your parasympathetic, your fight or flight, I'm on, and my parasympathetic, my sympathetic, which is my fight or flight, and my parasympathetic, which is just kind of like my, my rest and digest type of calming, right? Um, so many times people say, well, HRV is just indicative of like, you know, those two divisions. And that's not completely true. It's not like an all or nothing. Um, you, can ha- you can be parasympathetic or calm in your whole body and parasympathetic activity to your heart can be suppressed, right? For instance, like after you eat, right? You need to be relaxed for digestion to take place, but your heart needs to pick up a couple of notches to match for 
digestion and increased blood flow, right? So certain systems can be more sympathetic and while others can be more parasympathetic and that's something to keep in mind. Now, the problem with WHOOP is they're they say they can measure, they say they are measuring HRV in your deepest stage of sleep to give you an idea of your autonomic nervous system function. Well, we know their HRV isn't very good. Okay. And you know, we, they, we know they really don't do a good job of telling you what stage of sleep you're in. But let's say they can tell you what stage of sleep they're in, which they can't. And let's tell you, let's just assume that their HRV is good, which it isn't. Even if those things are right, examining or measuring HRV in your deepest stage of sleep is not indicative of autonomic nervous system function. So they're even, they'd be measuring it in the wrong place. So probably the fact that they are not accurate, it probably gives them better accuracy, just happenstance wise. So that sounds like it's problematic then for people who are assessing their, their status by this HRVR recovery number then. Totally. Now, again, if, if you go out and have some drinks at night and don't sleep, will the whoop show that your HRV has gone down? Yes. But is that number going to be accurate? No. Right. It's kind of like your, your mom putting your hand on her, on your head saying, you, you know, you're running a temperature. Yeah. You feel warm. Okay. That's, that's kind of what it's like. So it's, it's just a, a you know, it, it tells you that moved in the right direction. That's about it. So okay, I'm going to, I'm going to jump back to that point in a second, because it, yeah. it leads into one of the questions we have really nicely. There was one other point I wanted to bring up just about their metrics, the strain number that they use. So you've, given us a, a really good idea of the, the recovery and HRV and sleep stuff in regards to the strain, kind of a, a question that I have is if they're measuring this by heart rate and movement, they still don't know what type of activity you've been doing. So for example, you might be building, let's say a high strain because you went for, let's say a four hour hike versus that. What about if a person does, an extremely difficult, you know, 45 minute weightlifting workout, how are they going to be able to calculate, you know, what that strain is or, or what's actually fatiguing you more? Because I think people are probably going to have, you know, a big question in terms of if their strain is, let's just saying it's the same number, but they might be feeling completely different based on what they actually did that day. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right there. I mean, and I think that's the thing. I mean, I don't want this to be a pick on whoop session, right? Uh, I mean, certainly all where there's not going to be like wearables that are hundred percent accurate. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think it's important for your listeners to be wary and understand that there are some severe limitations with this. Right. And it's how you would use the data. Like if an athlete comes to me and says, Brandon, Hey, I'm wearing my whoop data. What do you think? My answer to them is I think it's great. You care about sleep. I think it's great. You care about recovery. Um, and, and that's awesome. Now, if you are looking from at me to make decisions on your training program based upon this data, that is something I cannot do because I just don't feel comfortable with that amount of error. Yeah, right? that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So that's the easy way of doing it. Looking at yeah, it. it, it really, it really boils down to so, and we'll, we'll, I'm going to ask about some of the, the kind of uh, competition in a second, but what it really looks like then is the main benefit is 
if it improves people's adherence and accountability to better lifestyle habits, that's really the the goals that they're get, that they're getting from it. Yes, but the data <laughs> that they're getting isn't accurate enough to really inform anything else. Correct. And the fact that, and if they're going to ever use it to like compare later on down the road, it's just not going to be there. It's just not, can't do that. So then, so then really the question for people is, and I, I've, I've brought this up online before is that if it's helping you with your accountability and adherence to better lifestyle habits, and that's improving your performance and making you healthier, fantastic. You just need to weigh it up against the price tag and decide if it's worth it for you. That's yes. what it comes down to then. Yep. Okay, that's that's brilliant. Um, we have some competition in this space. People often ask about the Aura Ring, Apple Watch, and Fitbit too. Can you touch a little bit on those and, and maybe how they compare? Yeah, I mean, every generation that comes out, and Whoop is not different from this, right? Uh, they keep getting better. Right. Uh, when Apple first came out with their first gen Apple Watch, I think the research showed that it was, you know, 95% of the variance compared to EKG was between minus 19 and plus like 21 or something like that beats per minute. Right. So not very accurate. Um, it's gotten so much more accurate. Right. And now they're in like this fifth or sixth gen of Apple Watch. So they're getting better. Um, so uh, or ring. They're doing pretty good. Their heart rate is is pretty good as well, right? Um, so, and and as a result, their HRV numbers are a little bit better um, from that standpoint. So, um, Fitbit also decent. You know, I think kind of from a um, yeah, they're all they're all fine from a consumer standpoint, right? But again, I I don't think I would be like when I do my training, I put on a Polar H10 chest strap. Um, and sync it with my Apple Watch to override the heart rate there. Um, Be- because chest straps are more accurate than wrist-based heart rate chest monitors. Chest straps or- are more accurate than wrist-based monitors, correct. Um, and while chest straps are not as accurate as like a 12-lead EKG, it's hard to run three and a half miles with attached to a 12-lead EKG, Right. Hence, that's the difference between the medical device and the consumer device is that consumer devices, you, gi- you give up accuracy for portability. Mm-hmm. Fine. But I still want, from my training standpoint, to have a, a greater accuracy. It's not 100% accurate. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, greater accuracy. So I, I, I use my, my chest strap. Right. Um, what would be, say, the, the differences between a consumer like polar chest strap versus one of the wrist-based models for workout accuracy in terms of heart rate? Um, it depends on the model, but they're, I would say um, it, it's going to depend on the model, right? But they're, they're going to be just, I would say if EKG is 10, I'm just going to use a scale of one to 10 just for easy mm-hmm. for viewers and a chest strap is like eight and a half. Uh, like the wrist worn wearables might be like a seven. Okay. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, and then anywhere between like a five and a seven. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Um, if people want to get, I know we're kind of I'm moving slightly away from say measuring now and just thinking more about real basic ways of doing this for people. How can you? 
maybe gather some information about things that help your recovery or don't help your recovery or maybe affect, you know, fatigue and things like this without having a wearable? Like, what did people do in, say, the high performance space before these wearables were available? Well, we guessed a lot, right? Um, And um, that's kind of what we did. We made a lot of assumptions. And when you stack a lot of assumptions, then things can go really haywire, right? So we assumed that, you know, well, we, we knew there were strategies to optimize sleep. We just couldn't quantify if those things were actually working or not. We know you should keep your, your room at a certain, you know, at you know, 19 degrees, right? Or 68, whatever the conversion is, right? We know that it should be dark room. Um, we know that you need at least seven to eight a night, right? We didn't, we couldn't quantify those things. It was helping or moving the needle, right? Um, now, certainly we used heart rate. We've been using heart rate for years not only to train, but also for recovery and to see how well people are doing. So we used, we've used morning heart rate numbers. Um, one of the things that I've used extensively and still use today is the Rusco heart rate test, right? Which is you get a decent heart rate strap or, or um, I used to get the polar ones that go on the forearm, right? And you lie down, you capture your resting heart rate for two minutes, and then you stand up and then you capture it at, you know, right after you stand up and then at 30, 60, 90, 120 minutes, and you can start to see this dip. You'll see your heart rate peak and you'll see it then dip down and then come back up, right? And then depending on the, the sharpness of, of that heart rate coming back down um, would depend on, well, how well you're adapting to whatever the stress, excuse me, is, right? So we've used heart rate for a number of years. We also relied upon su- uh, subjectivity. How are you feeling today, Mike? Right? Are you sore? Are you not sore? Right? How did you sleep? How did you think you slept? Right? Again, those are all assumptions. Um, but we still rely upon that now. For instance, with wearables, if your whoop says that you slept really well, but you felt you were tossing and turning, right? Or vice versa, that's what's called device agreement. Do I agree with my device? And then it's now, what do I, who do I listen to? myself and my technology what about some performance testing for for almost so what i'm trying to get at here is we can get say some very i suppose we've discussed now maybe maybe not quite so accurate numbers from our wearables to see essentially what type of condition we're in at any moment Mm -hmm. something that's been used in sports is measuring things like vertical jump or or a grip strength test to Mm -hmm. see how recovered you are and what I kind of like about those is that rather than seeing what your recovery says you are, you actually get to see how your performance is. So there's there's an outcome measure as opposed to just, I actually feel pretty good, but this says that I shouldn't feel good. Should, should I not train today or should I take it easy? Whereas with the performance measures, you actually get a chance to warm up, see how your body is working, and then actually make a decision. Correct. And I think we've used performance measures uh, historically. Um, and then the other thing we've used is we've even used like soft tissue, right? And how, how does your soft tissue feel? Um, you know, massage therapists who have been working on athletes for years can tell like, well, your tissue is really ropey. Have you done something different? Or are you holding stress differently? Um, they know you. Um, some of the other things that we've used in the past from a historical standpoint um, are um, – uh, even mobility and stability exercises, right? 
So if I have my therapist working with you and, and when you're in a really good non-stressful state, your mobility changes hold for three days, all of a sudden they have to work on you every single day. What's happening if nothing else has changed, right? So there's some interesting things that you can kind of layer on and put things together, kind of piece together, almost like a detective and, and, and look at the puzzle. Um, but yeah, most certainly performance training can do it. But the caveat is this, sometimes we want to be tired. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is uh, a side effect, a desirable side effect of training is that you're not going to be ready the next day. Right. Yeah. We want that. So I think that's kind of the danger is that, well, Jesus says I shouldn't work out today. That may not be the case at all. Right. Because um, that's exactly what we want to see happen. Yeah, we we need to have the stimulus from training that makes us tired, so that our body is forced to <laughs> to compensate and get get yes. stronger. Essentially, just to touch on for golfers, um, this is an important point for them. When I brought up the hand grip strength and the the vertical jump test as things you can do kind of quickly at the start of training, this is what I use with golfers who are on the road all the time. At least once a week, I just have them fill out the exact same clubhead speed tracking sheet, so that we can see from week to week. Well. Here's where your speeds are trending. And I think what's important about all of this too is that variability is normal within humans anyway, kind of regardless of even if you did the same thing, you know, day after day. So you're expected to be in some sort of range, some type of bandwidth as opposed to the exact same every day. And then if you consider that you're going to have travel, which will, you know, probably fatigue you. And just the fact that based on training, there's going to be days where you're a little bit more tired and days when you feel a little bit better. Brandon, I think a good way to um, to maybe finish this up is that kind of looking at the progression of, say, this this data for informing fatigue and recovery and and readiness. If we consider that before the, these this technology became available, we were, I guess, asking a lot of questions, having athletes and and clients fill in questionnaires, tell us how they're feeling on a on a scale of different questions. We were using these performance measures, which are kind of easy and quick to do at the start of training sessions or even before training and don't induce any further fatigue, which is important. Now we have wearables, which are trying to accomplish some of these questions and and put a metric on them. But as you told us, the, the independent research says they're not really there yet in terms of being able to do that accurately. So what's the next step? Is technology going to improve to a level where if we have this same conversation, I don't know, is it in one year or five years or 20 years where you tell me, no, this stuff is awesome now. Like, it's amazing what it can do. Because right now, people and I suppose all of us are like, wow, this is kind of amazing what it's attempting to do now. What's coming next? Yeah, no, it, I think we're, you're right. The, a lot of these devices are not really commercially mature yet. And I think the thing that people have to keep in mind is some of these companies are just trying to put out the minimum viable product in hopes that some other big company comes along and buys their company, right? And then they can retire with a golden parachute. So that's what a lot of these companies hope to happen. Um, but I think technology is going to get better. Um, but you're right. It is pretty cool that you can wear a device on your wrist or on your finger, right? And it can kind of tell you what's happening at your cortex, right? While you're sleeping. That's yep. cool, right? Um, is it perfect? No, but we are heading in that direction for sure, 
right? We are certainly heading in the direction of, of getting things uh, more accurate by the day, um, if not by the year. But I think people need to be patient too, um, because that's the, that's the thing. Like the, one thing I always say, the most dangerous thing about data is the ability for people to misinterpret it, right? And um, I think sometimes these wearable technologies and data kind of overpromise and underdeliver, right? And it takes a lot of data to understand, like you said, the trends of things and that we do have this trend line and we always do regress toward the mean, right? And that, you know, it's, it's just like today, if someone says, okay, Brandon, you know, what's, what's the temperature today? Well, it's, it's, you know, 25 degrees out, right? Um, so what does that mean, right? Does, does that mean it's going to be that tomorrow or six months from now? Or, you know, or, or even next year in the same day, it takes a lot of data to really understand weather patterns and to know when it rains and doesn't rain and when a rainy season is and when it could be, right? So like here in Florida, we know that hurricane season is, you know, June 1st, all the way to, you know, the end of November. Doesn't mean that's when they start and end, but that's what the data tells us that most of the hurricanes occur during that time. And that's what we're going to call hurricane season, Right. Um, but we didn't know that with one year's worth of data or two years worth of data, right? We have a lot of data to tell us this. So I think that's the most important thing is the, the cautionary tale about looking things, looking at your own data over time. Yeah, fantastic. So I think kind of to, to conclude with, with this episode on wearables is that what it really boils down to is if it improves the person's adherence to good habits and gets them more interested in them habits, which we already know about, mm-hmm. then it's, then it's worth it for them. If, if they're happy to, to pay the price for it financially, but that we can't really draw conclusions from the data in terms of its accuracy and using it to inform decisions about what we do day to day. 100%. Okay. That's, that's great. So what I would just sort of suggest to golfers then as, as a wrap up to the people listening is because I often get questions questions from listeners about basically how they should use all this stuff that's available. What I always try and tell them is it it sounds like a fancy term, but the the word is reverse engineer or work backwards. So if people listening have say a club head speed goal or a body fat goal, or even simply a body weight goal or an exercise goal, use measures in your training in terms of performance measures that you can see if you're getting closer to these. So track your body fat, track your body fat, track your body weight, track your club head speed. If you find that using one of these wearables gets you better at adhering to the habits you need to, to get closer to these goals, then fantastic. If you don't need the wearable to do that, you're probably not going to get any benefit out of it in terms of the numbers it's spitting out. And then just try and essentially work your way towards whatever you're trying to achieve. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Excellent. Thank you very much. Brandon, where can people find out more about you? That was a really enjoyable episode for me. It was, this is episode 20 of this podcast. And this was probably um, the topic that I would say least comfortable on in terms of knowledge. So uh, I, I appreciate making it really easy for us and giving us a really good insight. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, I, you know, I do most of my stuff on Twitter. So uh, be Marcelo 13 um, at Twitter. Um, I mean, my Instagram is just mostly personal stuff. I very rarely do I put anything on there, um, pertaining to work, 
but uh, fantastic. Do you have a website? Yeah. Uh, had one, but no, I don't update it it's, much. It's, so. it's not active. Okay. So Twitter, Twitter is where to find is the best right? way. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Brandon, that is excellent. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.